You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. I'm Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And just want to say uh, welcome back, right? We're finally getting settled back into the studio here. It's been a, a crazy, uh, crazy week, week and a half, running all over the country. feel like I've been to three different countries in about two days. It's been wild, but I want to apologize. We did have a hiccup on the last episode immediately following the Chalk Talk segment. Um, for whatever reason, the audio did not stick until the uh, the outro, so I'm sure you guys didn't hang around just to hear that. So I just want to apologize. I had several people email me. Really cool about it. Just let me know, hey, I, I wanted to make sure it wasn't my phone. I wanted to hear the rest of the show, and unfortunately, the audio did not take. So hopefully today goes a little bit smoother. Uh, I've got my equipment settled back in, like I said, into the office. So that's going to be the goal here is to make this thing go just a little bit better, right? So um, with that being said, too, uh, the audio or the sound, I should say, of my voice has been a little bit low on some of the pods. So we're going to try to change the volume level. Hopefully you guys can hear this episode a little bit better. I'm not sure what was up with that. Hopefully I'm not uh, blowing your eardrums out at the same time. So uh, first of all, let's do this. I, I, You know, like I said, on the past pod, I didn't get to watch the game live other than on my phone um, in a restaurant. So um, it's pretty cool to, to go back and, and watch it multiple times now. And I'll tell you what, man, I've seen several Packer fans that they they weren't thrilled about that win. And I haven't been this excited about a Packers win in a long time. I mean, I feel like that game could have unfolded a lot different there at the end. But uh, it's so cool to to see the Packers kind of battle through that adversity, the fumble, the pick six right before halftime, all those things. And I mentioned that because we're about to turn the page away from the Patriots game and move on to the Giants. And that's kind of what we're going to cover today. We're going to really talk about quarterly evaluation of the Packers, you know, how they've played so far this year, kind of give you an idea of, okay, where do they sit amongst the other teams in the league? And then also talk about their top offensive players, according to PFF, top defensive players, top special teamers. And then we'll jump a little bit into the Giants preview. 
But uh, yeah, just like I said, man, it was a, it was a good win, and and I didn't get to watch it live, so I want to go back and kind of relive this. Here's the radio call from that game-winning kick by Mason Crosby. Let's check it out. The veteran in his 16th year out of Colorado comes on to win this ball game for Green Bay. Mason Crosby for the win. Snap, placement, swing to the right leg, kick to the upright. It is good! It is good! Mason Crosby has done it again! He has booted the Green Bay Packers to a 27-24 victory in overtime over the New England Patriots. Fantastic. I completely agree there, uh, Larry. It was fantastic, man. What a win. I'm just telling you, it was a, it was a great win, man. You know, it's funny the the play that we broke down was the third quarter pass there, or yeah, at the at the beginning of the third quarter, Packers come out two straight incompletions. It's third and ten, huge guy to have at play. Um, you know, like I said, third and ten. I think it was like fourteen forty eight left in the third quarter. It just began. If you punt right there going into the third quarter with the way the first half ended. Man, that smell that just spells disaster, right? And it's funny that that's the play that completion to Alan Lazard was the play that I picked to do chalk talk, which we did. You guys can find that on YouTube, the replay, and obviously it's on podcast form as well. A little bit better to watch it on YouTube, however. Um, I think we did a good enough job, and we and we do a good enough job on the audio version to kind of describe what's happening. And the whole purpose of those chalk talk guys, it, it's to kind of give you an idea of the read of the play, the different you know, the the multiple levels of each play, whether it's an RPO or the progressions in a passing game and, and, you know, what the offensive line was looking to do, how the defense lined up, why Aaron, you know, chose to throw to Lazard on that, you know, all those things. And you can do that in audio form. You just got to kind of really pay attention if you're the one cutting the podcast to make sure you describe those things to a certain level. But I, I've gotten, I think, three emails back um, since that Chalk Talk segment of people just saying they absolutely love the Chalk Talk segments, which is kind of surprising to me because I was hesitant on doing those earlier in the year because it's something that I geek out over. I absolutely love. It's the thing I, I, I love to cover the most when it comes to the Packers. You know, when we did the interview with Krista Watson, um, you know, Christian's mom, um, there was a lot of people coming to me going, man, you broke you broke injury news there. Dude, you need to, you need to blast that out. And I was like, I don't feel comfortable doing that. She didn't say, oh, yeah, go share all this information. You could tell she was a little bit hesitant on it, so I kind of held back. That's not my forte. I'm not looking to be an insider. I'm not looking to be a reporter. I'm not looking to get brownie points with anyone who might be able to share that. My goal with this podcast is to learn more about the Packers, learn more about their scheme, learn more about the game of football, and along the way hopefully educate other people through the stuff that we're uncovering as we do this podcast. That's really my ultimate goal. So, um yeah, with that being said, I'm glad you guys are enjoying the Chalk Talk segments. I could honestly do two or three of those a week, but I don't want to overdo it. And uh, I'm just appreciative that there's like-minded people out there that really enjoy them the same way that I do. So that's something that's uh, that's very important to me. But with all that being said, let's do this. Let's kind of look at a quarterly evaluation of the Green Bay Packers. And, and you're probably going, what do you mean quarterly? I'm Basically what I'm saying is, one-fourth of the season. Now, in the past, there was only 16 games, so obviously four games in. That's a quarter of the season, so you do a quarterly evaluation. Everything I look at, I look at it kind of from a business standpoint. That's just my background, um, and and we do that in any business venture whatsoever. You get a quarter of the way through the year, and it's, okay, What what is the evaluation for what we've done in the last four months, right, of the 12-calendar month year, 12-month calendar year, I should say. 
And, and you kind of look at that and you set your next quarterly goal, right? And in a lot of cases, your quarterly goals are set much more in advance, right? Sometimes as far as a year in advance, but it's important to kind of keep your, keep your eye on what it is you're doing, right? And, and the game of football and more specifically with the NFL, this is something that's absolutely huge. It's something that coach Mike McCarthy was great at when he was the head coach for the Green Bay Packers. And that's what we call self-scouting, self-evaluation, right? You, you look at, okay, what, what was it we were trying to accomplish? Did we accomplish that? And where can we make adjustments along the way? You know, you've heard Coach Matt LaFleur talk about it's important to go three and one. It's it's basically four separate seasons, each of a four-game stretch, and the goal is to go three and one. Obviously, you want to win every game you play, but if you come out with three wins out of each of those four, you know, segments, uh, four-game segments, then you're you're probably going to be the number one seed with 12 wins, right? Well, now obviously there's 17 games in the season now with it being extended to an 18 week season, and uh, you know you get a chance to get a little bonus there. And, and I just think it's absolutely huge that we got a win down in Tampa, and then this win here in New England. I was a little bit shaky on too, um, but the fact that you uh, you got those two wins and you dropped the division, the opener there uh, on the road to the division rival Minnesota Vikings, who they're playing pretty good ball. I mean, it's nothing crazy great, but I mean they're 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 winning, right? And that's what it always comes down to. And I think Kevin O'Connell's doing a good job of of calling the game. Now he he tends to lean a little more like an offensive coordinator rather than a head coach when calling the game. And I think that's something that's very important is calling the game as a head coach. If you're the play caller on offense, you need to call the game as a head coach. You need to call the game to win, not to go, okay, this is the the most explosive way that we can rack up stats and numbers and attack the defense, right? Um, it's all about getting those dubs and that's exactly what Matt LaFleur is doing, right? So um, this next stretch, it's funny. I look at these these next four games, and you got teams like the Giants, the Jets, the Commanders, and it's like, oh, we're going to – yeah, until we get to the Bills, these are all easy wins. Wrong. This is the National Football League, which stands for not for long if you look at games like that. If you overlook any opponent, you can come away with a loss at any given moment. Any given Sunday, anything can happen. You know, it's funny we said that going into the New England game, and it's like, oh, come on, man. They don't even have their starting quarterback. Okay. And then lo and behold, the same people that said that, you're in overtime trying to kick a game winning field goal, and after the game, they're like, I can't believe we barely squeaked that one out. I'm, I'm sorry you can't believe it, but it didn't catch me by surprise. <laughs> That's the GOAT on the other sideline, right? So anyway, quarterly breakdown. So when you go to PFF, and what we're doing is looking at team grades, okay? And we're going to really focus on the overall grade first. Here's the overall team grade, okay, um, throughout the National Football League. And the Packers come in number 11. I'm going to read off the top 10, okay? Number one, Philadelphia Eagles, 81.7. Number two, the Kansas City Chiefs, 80.2. Number three, the San Francisco 49ers, 79.1. Guys, the 49ers are no pushover. It's amazing that, you know, a couple weeks ago, all that rode off. The best thing that could happen to the Niners, and I don't wish ill will on anyone, right? And I'm not saying I'm glad Trey Lance got hurt or, you know, it's – you know, it's it's a it's a good thing to see a young quarterback or a young player, a young individual in any endeavor, you know, have a setback with an injury. But, man, you can just see the difference between Jimmy G and him. Right. That team is better off short term with Jimmy G at the helm, at least from, you know, the, the small saturation that we've seen. But 49ers, 79.1, absolutely boat race the uh, L.A. Rams there a couple nights ago. Um, they're they're right back in this thing. Number three was kind of surprising me, or number four, I should say, tied for number three. Uh, Great now is the same as the 49ers, 79.1 is the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, they're sitting at a two and two record. 
the thing the Falcons have done um, really, really well is run the football. And it's amazing the people that disagree with PFF and they say PFF's a joke, it's a waste of time, blah, blah, blah. They're the same ones going, man, this Atlanta Falcons uh, running game with Cordell Cordero Patterson is is unbelievable. And then you look at the run grades, and lo and behold, that's the reason they're winning. 78.4 run grade, 76.8 run blocking grade. Right, that and special teams is fundamentally sound with a 70 78.5. But Atlanta Falcons coming in at number four, tied for number three, I should say. Um, at number five, you've got the New Orleans Saints at a 77.6. Now they're a one in three team. They've played well enough to have a better record than that, right? But at the end of the day, you know, anytime I see a defensive coach, defensive minded coach as the head coach, I don't know, man. I just kind of struggle with that. I don't, I, you know, people immediately go, well, What about Bill Belichick? Bill Belichick. You've seen him coaching Bailey Zappi on on the sideline on Sunday. You've seen numerous films on NFL films of him game planning with Tom Brady the week going in and him giving Brady tips on, hey, look, I think we should maybe key in on this matchup and Brady throwing stuff back at him. What do you think if we attack this defense this way? His hands are in every aspect of the football game, right? That's a totally different type of coach in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, anyway – Coming in at number six, Minnesota Vikings, uh, 77.5. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 76.1. Coming in at number seven. Number eight, Buffalo Bills, 75.5. Number nine, the Pittsburgh Steelers, 74.5. Number 10, the LA Rams, 74.3. And you got our Green Bay Packers at uh, number 11 at a 74.1. So as it sits right now, according to PFF, overall team grade, they have the Green Bay Packers grading out as the 11th best team in the league. Now, we're sitting at a 3-1 and one record, and as I'm counting off the, the 10 teams above them, there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 6 teams that we have a better record than. But yet, somehow, Matt LaFleur is a bad coach. Now, I heard Michael Lombardi ranting on Matt LaFleur again the other day. It's because he's got a Hall of Fame quarterback. Okay. So, you're you're punishing him for having a good quarterback. Got it. And, and being able to utilize him the right way. You know, it's funny he says that, but you don't hear him penalizing uh, Bill Belichick for having Tom Brady all those years. You don't hear him penalizing Andy Reid for having Patrick Mahomes. Andy Reid's a genius, right? All these great, you know, same thing with, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I could go on and on. That just blows my mind that Matt LaFleur still isn't getting kudos, still isn't getting the credit that he deserves. But we're going to sort this by offensive grade. All right, offensively, according to PFF, the Green Bay Packers are graded out fifth best with a 74.8. Only the Eagles, the Falcons, the Chiefs, and the Browns are graded out above them. Now, look at the Browns sitting at 2-2. Two and two. They have a 79.0 um, offensive grade. Well, why are they so bad? Guys, their run defense is 33.0. Now, let's compare that to the Green Bay Packers. Not much better, 41.3. What's the difference? A great head coach and a Hall of Fame quarterback. What do you guys hear me say all the time? That the two most important aspects of a franchise is the head coach and the quarterback, period. If you've got those two things and you've got top tier in both of those, you're always going to be in the ball game and have a chance to win, in my opinion. But anyway, Green Bay Packers grade out fifth best. In the passing game, they grade out fifth best at a 75.3. So they're a top five passing team according to grades, um, PFF. Pass blocking. This is where it gets a little bit ugly. They drop all the way down to number 18. So why am I mentioning all this? I'm mentioning it because we're trying to get an understanding of what have we done good, what have we done bad, right? 
and and how do we improve on that moving through the year? And I I'm, I know some of y'all are rolling your eyes going, like you have anything to say in the Green Bay Packers. I don't, but I want this podcast to come from the perspective of a coaching staff, of a front office. You know, when we got into the offseason, we got great feedback when I first launched in, in March with Ryan. Um, I was really covering contracts when other people wasn't wanting to talk about stuff. I wanted to kind of project to the future, hey, here's what we're probably looking at as far as building a roster and, and the direction they may go. We want to, we want this podcast to reflect that of a coaching staff or a front office so we're always learning something. We're always coming out a little bit better. We're always, you know, have the ability to say, okay, um, what is it that the team needs to do different to get better? And then when it happens – we're not surprised. We're okay. Yeah, we kind of projected that. Stuff's important. So receiving grade, Packers come in at eighth. They're tied. In, they're tied for eighth with the Kansas City Chiefs. Their uh, receiving grade is a seventy-three point one. Well, looky there, guys. All offseason, the mainstream media, all they said was Devontae Adams leaving the Packers is going to kill them. And what did we say? We we and I say we not just me but multiple people across Packer you know Packers podcast. I don't just listen to the Packernet podcast. I listen to a lot of people out there. I love following the Packers community. In my opinion, the Packers podcast community is better than any other team in the entire league. I mean, we've got some awesome people with awesome personalities who are very intelligent. They're very likable. They they got a great sense of humor. All those things. Uh, we're just very fortunate to be Packer fans, in my opinion, because of that reason. I could, na- I don't want to start naming names because I'll leave people out, um, you know, it, unintentionally leave people off the list. But we just got a great, great group of people to listen to. But we said, yeah, but he's going to be spreading the ball around. Now it's going to be hard to game plan and just double team Tay when. And, and people go, well, just because you double team, so that means somebody else is open. Not, not necessarily. If you heard Matt Lafleur and Aaron Rodgers talk in the off season, they had eighty percent of the targets preset to go to Devontae Adams. This whole offense was designed around getting the ball to number 17. So they had to kind of change that up. And here we are with the receiving grade in 73.1. And it's a young receiving core and one of the cheapest in the entire league. Pretty cool. All right, running grade. This is kind of cool. Green Bay Packers coming at number four with an 83.0 running grade. That's exciting. Run blocking, 18th. Their run block grade is a 57.6, and they come in 18th in the league. What's that tell you? And it's the reason we're doing this exercise. It tells you that the running backs are performing freaking lots out. Aaron Jones specifically, and we'll talk about that in a second. But So when you look at the offense, you're talking about a borderline top 10, first of all, overall team, number 11. Offensively, like we said, they're number five. Passing game, they're number five. Pass blocking, um, they drop all the way down to 18th. So it shows you, okay, the pass blocking could be a lot better. We really need to put emphasis on that and improve that. Receiving, we're in the top 10 at number eight, topper number eight, so arguably number seven on the list, playing real solid there. And then the running game is number four. This offense is fine, guys. I mean, like I said, a run blocking down there, too, at 18. So you're seeing the offensive line is not performing well. Well, lo and behold, look, you've been without Bakhtiari for several games there early in the season. He's getting his feet wet again. Elton Jenkins is sliding into right tackle coming off that ACL. He's starting to get comfortable now. Now let's really start to settle in and adjust. And and this is where Matt LaFleur gets really good. He sucks on week one, and I told you why. He's a coach that evaluates teams very, very deeply, and he's going to really try to attack their weaknesses, regardless if it's a strength of us or not. 
that he's going to go after the weakness of the other team, and he's going to do that based off the information that's coming out of the year before. Well, if you come into a new year and, and teams have changed those things up, you're kind of at a disadvantage. That's my personal belief. I'm not saying it's it's right. That's just the best that I can come up with on why Matt LaFleur and his coaching staff struggles early in the season, more specifically with week one. Well, now you've seen him settle in. He's won three straight games, right? And that, to me, it's only going to stabilize moving forward. And the reason being is because he now has a four-game saturation of the teams that he's going to play coming up. And then starting next week, it's going to be a five-game saturation and then a six-game saturation. And these teams can't hide around the offseason and, and really disguising what it is they're looking to do and catch people off guard. This is where you see teams start to separate. And in my opinion, it's because the coaching staff do, does their homework and they don't just rely on the sole ability, the physical ability, the talent of the players. I think that's what Coach Matt LaFleur does so well. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. Defensively, the Green Bay Packers grayed out pretty bad. They are 22nd in the entire league, right, at a 62.9. So the defense has got to get better grade-wise. Now, what's crazy is when you look at, you know, points uh, points per game, it's it's not that bad, right? I don't have those numbers pulled up. I wanted to really key in on the PFF stuff and, uh, and look at that. But, again, their bottom half right now, according to PFF um, grading uh, scale as far as team grades. So what makes them so bad on defense? Well, if you look at the run defense, they are all the way down to 30th in run defense, 41.3 grade. Horrible. Now, what did we talk about, how the league has kind of shifted? This is Greg Cosell talking, not Clayton Bailey talking. Greg Cosell is talking about how teams are really looking to allow to give up the run, right, to make sure you stop the big plays in the passing game, the explosive plays, that type of stuff, right? And you can see that teams are really allowing other teams to run kind of at will. Now, you've seen Kansas City last week ran the ball a ton on offense, and it really paid off against Tampa Bay this week, I should say, this past game. So when teams stick to the run, they win, right? So we've got to get that buttoned up, though. Again, that run defense grade is – uh that's just uh, that's just not going to get it done, man. I mean, when you're talking about in the 40s, a 41.3, got to get that cleaned up, right? Up next, you've got the tackling grade, all right? When you look at the tackling grade, the Green Bay Packers are ranked 18th, and their tackle grade is a 56.2. You're seeing now those two numbers right there go hand-in-hand, hand, a 41.3 run defensive grade, a 56.2 tackling grade. You got to get that tackling shirt up. If you get that tackling shirt up, that run defense grade probably goes up a bit too. So you can kind of see what that's geared around there. Let's move on to the pass rush. Pass rush, a lot of people would say, hey, Green Bay's pretty solid with the pass rush. PFF agrees, 73.8. Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith are as good a, a duo in the entire league, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, you've got people like the Chargers that went out and spent big money. You've got the San Francisco 49ers who always has a strong front and gets gets pressure on the on the quarterback. The Philadelphia Eagles have one of the best defensive lines in the league. I could go on and on on Dallas Cowboys with what they're doing with Micah Parsons kind of changing the game there a bit. You got Von Miller added to the Buffalo Bills. Von, I mean, Von Miller come over the Buffalo Bills completely changed the game. Their pass rush grade is 86.6, right? But again, the Green Bay Packers, not excellent at anything, but really solid at the important things. What are the three things that I say are the most important offensive positions, right? I say quarterback, and I say it's actually just two, quarterback, and left tackle, right? Why is that? It's important because quarterback's the most important position in the league, 
right? And then since it's the most important position in the league, the second most important position, in my opinion, should be the ability to protect the quarterback and the ability to get to the quarterback, right? What's Green Bay doing well? Their passing is grading out of the 75.3, and their pass rush is grading out of the 73.8. You meld those two things together with a solid head coach that knows how to call a ball game, and you're going to be in virtually every ball game you play. It's going to be very, very, very seldom that you get blown out. So I think that's a that's a great sign there, and it kind of shows you they're keying in on the pass rush more than they are the run, exactly what Greg Cosell talked about in the offseason. Now, coverage grade. Typically, when you get a high pass rush grade, you get a high coverage grade too. What's the old saying, the old Pat Kerwin saying, right? Pressure pick, coverage sacks. A pressure on the quarterback most of the time leads to an interception, right? Getting in the face, not necessarily making the sack, but getting in the face of the quarterback, getting him off his spot, making him rush the throw, making him throw into coverage. And then good coverage will cause a sack. Most of the time when someone gets sacked, unless they just get completely blown off the ball and off the edge or in the interior, it's because there was good coverage. The quarterback held on the ball too long because there was good coverage, and they go hand in hand. Well, the Green Bay Packers coverage grade is a 71.3. They come in at number seven. Solid coverage grade there. So what you're seeing on defense, the only thing that's really hurting is run is run defense and tackling, right? Everything else is pretty solid across the board. So now you got to ask yourself, all right, is it really worth it? Is it worth it to key in on the run a little bit more and take away from the pass rush? I know everybody hearing my voice is going, why can't you do both? I would love it if they could do both. It's very seldom that a team can do that. I mean, it really, really is. When you look at some of the best defenses in the league, yeah, they do it. But, like, look at Tampa. You know, Tampa's coverage grade is an 83.9. Their run defensive grade is a 58.8, right? Atlanta Falcons has a 79.4 coverage grade, while their run defensive grade is a 53.1. I mean, literally the only team above the Green Bay Packers in the top six of coverage grades the only team that has a good run defensive grade is the San Francisco 49ers at a 77.1. Everybody else is 58.8, 53.1, 55 55.5, 62.9, uh, 49.2 for the Dallas Cowboys. My God. I mean, they're they're getting to the quarterback. Their run defense grade is horrible. And then, of course, the Green Bay Packers are 41.3. Telling you, Greg Cosell is speaking straight truth on this matter. Teams are willing to give up the run to stop the pass, period. It's it's just what they're doing. And then, of course, we'll round it out with the special teams grades. And uh, on special teams, as it sits right now, according to PFF, the Green Bay Packers grade out 31st in special teams. Now, some of you are going, oh, my God, that's horrible. I agree. But here's what's exciting. There's been no block kicks. There's been no botched snaps. There's been none of that. You can, you can pretty much say that every single game this year, the special teams did not decide the game in a negative manner. We've already taken a step forward. Now, the PFF grade, you know, I don't know how much detail is put into the special teams grade, but I do know this. The special teams has improved. We're still at the very, very bottom of the league, according to PFF and grades, but it still hasn't cost us a game yet, and that's really, really exciting in my opinion. So, um, yeah. All right, with that being said, that is your quarterly evaluation. Just want to give you an idea. Like I said, a quick quick recap if I can. Um, overall, it's shown we're a borderline top 10 team. On offense, the thing that we need to work on the most is run blocking. And uh, on defense, the thing we need to work on is stopping the run and tackling better, period, right? 
So that's your quarterly evaluation. Now what we're going to do is talk about the top offensive players. And uh, before we do that, though, we're going to go ahead and and use this moment right now to take us a quick commercial break. We'll be right back, and we're going to talk about which players are really standing out early in this season. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Okay, so the top players that grayed out on offense. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Again, this is a quarterly evaluation, right? Number one on the team, offensive grade 79.0 is Aaron Jones. Number two, Randall Cobb at a 77.4. You can probably hear it in my voice. I am grinning ear to ear. Love it. Number three, Aaron Rodgers. Seen a lot of people talking this last week, and Aaron looks horrible. Aaron looks horrible. I don't think you are watching the same game as I am. I've seen him overthrow receivers. I get it. It's frustrating. I see him make mistakes and try to and kind of outsmart himself sometimes and it's frustrating but at the end of the day when you see some of the throws he made that throw to Cobb that was it looked like it might have been a crosser I'd have to go back and look at the film he, he could have been in the left slot and uh, and ran an out route but I think it was a crossing route or a deep dig but man there was three defenders around and Aaron put it in a one foot window that was just you could not ask for a better placement of that ball it was unbelievable how good of a ball that Aaron put on uh, on Randall Cobb on that play. I mean, it was amazing. So, um, again, Randall Cobb, 77.4. Aaron Rodgers, 77.1. Number four, Alan Lazard, 72.4. All right, now think about that. We heard it all offseason. Passing game's going to take a hit. Passing game's going to take a hit. Here you've got two of the top four players are wide receivers. It just so happens to be – two of the Wiley veterans too. Now, the thing about Cobb is he hasn't gotten a whole lot of opportunities. He's gotten, uh, what, 77 passing plays it looks like. I'm trying to see total numbers here. Let's see here. Total numbers 107. So he's been in on 107 snaps. Alan Lazard's been hurt, and he's got 181. So they're really not using Cobb all the time, but when Cobb's on the field, man, he is making the best of it. You heard Aaron talk about it yesterday on the uh, Pat McAfee show. Like, Cobb hasn't seen a lot of playing time, but when he's on the field, he is a big, big difference maker. He looks leaner. He looks quicker than he was last year. He's definitely more acclimated to the system. He's someone that I think is going to prove to be very, very vital in these close games. I mean, you could tell when when Aaron needs to go to someone, he's looking for Cobby, period. And uh, I think it's absolutely awesome. So 
Number five, A.J. Dillon, 72.2. Another player that a lot of people would say, oh, he's kind of off this year. Not according to PFF. He's looking solid, right? So those are the players that grade out in the 70s for the Green Bay Packers. Again, Aaron Jones, number one. Randall Cobb, number two. Aaron Rodgers, number three. Uh, Alan Lazard at number four. And A.J. Dillon at number five. So you've got two running backs, two wide receivers, and your quarterback grading out as your top players. I mean, the skill position is alive and well for the Green Bay Packers. Um, so that's exciting stuff. Let's move on to defense. What players are really, really um, helping the Packers have success on defense? And right at the top of the list, the superstar, Rashawn Gary. You know, I put a tweet out the other day. I was kind of talking a little bit of crap. I probably shouldn't. Sometimes I get a little antsy, and I want to stir some stuff up with some of these people that just talk out of their butt. They don't know what they're saying. They they do, as as Jacob likes to hear me say, they, they're more confused than a, a freaking fart in a fan factory. It, they don't have a clue what's actually going on. And, it, and it's, well, Rashawn Gary never gets sacks. Okay, now he's getting sacks. His PFF grade's still high. Now he's getting sacks. Uh, is he, is, now what's the issue? What are you going to complain about now? Not you listening to my voice, but these haters out there that always try to pick Rashawn Gary apart. Dude's a superstar. It's here. He has stepped into his prime right now. And it's time to give him a contract extension. Like I said on the post-game show when I called in there from Tapping New York, I was like, dude, pay this man his money. Give him the bag. 87.6, highest graded player on the entire team. Rashawn Gary, defensive grade, 87.6. Pass rush, 83.0. You're probably going, yeah, but what's his run defensive grade? 73.7. Tackle grade, 71.1. He's even got a coverage grade of 68.6 in those, you know, rare rare occasions where he's in coverage, where it's a, a fire zone blitz or maybe they have a mismatch, do some pre-snap motion, throws him in an awkward spot. This dude's just an athlete, man. He does it all. And, yeah, 171 total snaps. That's uh, only eight behind our nose tackle, Kenny Clark, right? That's exciting. So, again, Rashawn Gary at number one, 87.6. Number two, listen to this. Only 44 snaps, which, again, that's not it's not like 10 snaps. 44 snaps, a lot of snaps. Rudy Ford, 78.9. We're going to get into the injury report for the Giants game here in just a second. But Rudy Ford came in for uh, Adrian Amos off that concussion, and he played lights out, man. He was a difference maker. I've seen him a couple times, and I had to ask myself, who, who is that number 20? Who's number 20 when I was watching it back? That dude's flying to the ball. Rudy Ford, key free agent. I mean – this is Brian Gutekunst, and especially kind of partnering up with Rich Basaccia and listening, hey, this is this is a special teams guy. That's a special teams guy. I mean, you bring in a Dallin Levitt. I've seen Dallin Levitt come across. He was playing PP, personal protector uh, for the punter on a punt play for for uh, Pat O'Donnell, and he was on the right side of the of the ball. And you know what I'm talking about. He's kind of lined up, you know, a few steps, uh, just a couple steps behind the line of scrimmage, about a yard behind the line of scrimmage. And his goal, he's the personal protection for the punter ball snap guy comes off the opposite side doesn't even hesitate Dallin Levitt comes straight across the formation and completely up ends the dude cleans his clock I mean he, it was elbow over butthole that dude didn't know what happened to him Dallin Levitt key free agency signing late in the game right Rich Passaccia recommended it Brian Gudikins pulled the trigger. The only reason Rich Passaccia is here because Matt LaFleur wanted to hire him. The only reason that Matt LaFleur had the, the freedom to hire him is because Mark Murphy's kind of staying hands-off to a certain extent and allowing these guys to do their job. That whole front office is working hand-in-hand, -hand, and it's really, really exciting. But, again, 
Second highest graded player on defense, Rudy Ford, 78.9, albeit only 44 snaps, but I'm excited to see what he can do moving forward. Number three, Kenny Clark, 75.2. Now, what's exciting about Kenny Clark is his pass rush grade, 86.7. Guys, he has the highest pass rush grade on the entire league, uh, on the entire team. I'm sorry. Uh, he, he may be in the league. I don't know. I haven't looked at that, but um, guys, as exciting as it is about what uh, to watch Rashawn Gary do what he does rushing the quarterback, when you look at what Kenny Clark's doing, it's equally impressive. I mean, he's doing it from the interior, 86.7. There is nothing more important than when you're facing a pocket quarterback than pushing that pocket right back in his face, especially someone who doesn't move laterally very well, right? And, uh, yeah, Kenny Clark. Unsung hero so far this year, 75.2 overall grade. He comes in at number three. Number four, Rasul Douglas at a 72.5. What's crazy is, is his run defense grade is only a 37.7, but his tackle grade is at 86.5. Anytime there's a throw underneath him playing that slot, and I know last week he uh, he slid outside, if I remember correctly, because Jair was out of the game um, with that, you know, that uh, groin injury. 86.5 tackle grade. This dude is flying into the box when he's in that slot. He's not afraid to to lay the wood and, and make a tackle. And you can kind of see why Aaron Rodgers talked about comparing him a little bit to Charles Woodson. I mean, the guy kind of plays like Wood. He's willing to come in there and make the tackle, breaks on the ball really, really fast. And he, it's not a guy that's got a, a whole ton of uh, a whole lot of speed and quickness, but he's someone who's got a lot of instincts. And when the ball is in the air, he's already on his way to make a play, right? Um, Coverage grade, though, 81.6. I mean, you get a corner that can play coverage at an 81.6 and tackle at an 86.5 and already had 188 snaps this year, that's impressive. And number five is Jair Alexander, only 109 total snaps. Still, it's a pretty pretty uh, significant, you know, snap uh, uh, sample of snaps. But 72.4 defensive grade, coverage grade 77.3. We just need to get Jair in the uh, in the lineup once he's healthy, right? And those are your top five defensive players. Okay, again, just a quick recap: Rashawn Gary, Rudy Ford, Kenny Clark, Rasul Douglas, Jair Alexander. Those are the guys that are making this defense go, and uh, uh, really a, a key reason that the Green Bay Packers are sitting at three and one right now, coming out of the first quarter of the season. So. Let's move on to special teams, or as we call it, we-fence, right? The we-fensive aspect of the uh, of the Green Bay Packers. And one player I noticed wasn't on this list was Dallin Levitt. And I clicked on his profile. They don't have a grade up. They Maybe they're adjusting something. I don't know what the deal is with PFF, but he's not on the list. According to Rich Basaccia, he is that guy. He said it in a presser today, I believe, or yesterday, rather. He said he is that guy. He even said something along the lines that the official actually came over to him and said, who's number six and what's his problem? So this dude's playing mean, evidently, and and I love it. I absolutely love it. So, But when it comes to special teams, other than Dallin Levitt, who's not on this list, number one, Isaiah McDuffie at a 79.3. Guys, you're talking about a late-round linebacker pick. This is a guy who who's embracing his role as a special teams ace, right? And you're talking about, 72 total special team snaps. You know the old saying, you can't make the club in the tub, right? The the most important ability is availability, right? And accountability, but availability and staying healthy. Isaiah McDuffie has 72 special team snaps, and the closest one to him 
um, right here is 86 snaps with Tyler Davis. So he's got the second uh, highest amount of special team snaps in the entire team, and he grades out the highest at a 79.3. That's freaking awesome. Number two, rookie Quay Walker, 72.3. Right, Number three, Russell Douglas at a 69.8. Eric Stokes at a 67.8. And then Jonathan Garvin at a 66.4. So Quay Walker, Isaiah McDuffie. Now, Quay's only played 22 snaps on special teams. But Isaiah McDuffie, man, hats off to him. We got to we gotta start showing him some love on Twitter because that dude is the reason that the special teams has been improved. Again, I know it isn't grading out well according to PFF, but you can't find the game where we go, dang, the special teams really cost us that game. I mean, they are pretty freaking steady. So that's, uh, that's exciting moving forward. All right, let's do this. Before we wrap up, Let's move on to the New York Giants. I'm going to do things a little bit different today. I didn't take the time to talk about the coaching staff and all that. And the reason being is the first four weeks of the season, I kind of leaned on the information that we had at hand of, all right, who's their coordinator? What do they like to do in the past? Blah, blah, blah. Because we didn't have a saturation of info coming in, you know, to the new season. Well, now we have a four-game saturation. I'm going to begin to lean on the grades and talk about what these teams do best, right? And more importantly, their last few games. So you get kind of a, a more recent look at what they're doing well, right? So when you look at the New York Giants, right? I wish I hadn't closed the team overall because I'd like to see where they rank. I know they were at the bottom in pretty much everything, but uh the New York Giants, they are not a good football team, guys. I mean, how in the world that they're three and one is beyond me. Um Again, though, maybe it comes down to someone who knows how to call the game as a head coach, as Mike Lombardi likes to say, right? But going through their last four games, here was their overall grade for their last four games, right? You know, week one, Tennessee Titans, 56.7, and somehow they won that game. They won it by one point. Number two, or week two, Carolina Panthers, 58.3. They won that game 19 to 16. Week three, they, got, they took the loss there from the Dallas Cowboys, graded out a 60.9. And then in week four, they beat the Chicago Bears by eight points, 20 to 12. And their grade there was a 66.0. All right. So what stands out to me? What is it that they did well in this four-game saturation? The big thing that stands out here more recently is the passing grade. You know, against the Chicago Bears, they had a 78.0 passing grade. They had a 79.4 pass blocking grade. And when you look at that, you go, okay, is that is that is that the usual or is that just an anomaly? When you look at their pass blocking grade for the Tennessee Titans, 60 or uh, 52.7. Carolina Panthers, 67.7. Dallas Cowboys, 35.9. Chicago Bears, 79.4. Chicago Bears are hot garbage, period. Case closed, right? So I think they're probably more along the lines of those first three games as far as their pass blocking, right? And uh, just overall, I don't know, man. I, this doesn't look like a good football team, and I don't know how in the world they're winning the games that they're winning. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to hop back to premium stats here real quick, and I want to get a look at them overall if I can. And uh, we're going to kind of see where they land across the team. Overall grade, right? Overall grade for PFF. The, uh, the New York Giants are coming in at number 31, right? And offense, they're grading out as 
my computer goes completely haywire here. Let me hop back over here to it. So again, they graded out as the 31st best team in the entire league, right? On offense, they are grading out at – I don't even see them. Did they even make the list? My goodness. 31 again. Wow. So offensively, they're the 31st um, graded team. Passing-wise, they come in at number 21. Okay, so you can kind of see that's one of their strong points, as, as sad as that sounds. I mean, you could tell this is not a good football team when you're comparing them across the league. You really, uh, it's, 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 it's pretty bad. Pass blocking, a 54.3. They're 26th in pass blocking. Receiving, they are 30th. And, and it sounds like Kenny Galladay may be out. We'll talk about the injury report here in a second. Running grade. As far as running the ball, you know, they got Saquon Barkley back, and he's healthy, 21st. Even with a healthy Saquon Barkley, they grade out 21st. Run blocking, they're 13th. That tells you that really they're not performing up to the level from the running back position um, based off of what the offensive line is grading out at. Now, defensively, defensively, the New York Giants come in 26th, okay, 26th, and that grade is a 57.8. What's their weak spots? Let's look at it here. So when it comes to the Giants, to me, it seems like their weak spot on defense is definitely, man, pick your poison. <laughs> it looks like run defense, run defense and tackle grade. If you guys are thinking about playing fantasy this week or you're you're looking to do some, you know, some uh, some betting on individual players, you know, prop bets, what have you, I think our running backs are going to have a real big week here over in London. I mean, they. I think that everything is queued up. They have a horrible run defense. They're going to be playing from behind. We'll most likely be playing from ahead if everything goes as planned. This could be one of those games where you can really come in and, uh, and run the crap out of the football. Also, you're probably going to see our special teams rebound pretty well because their special teams grade is a 55.4. That is freaking horrible. So that's kind of how the Giants look. And I just wanted to give you guys an idea of what they've done the last four games. They're sitting at three and one, but it ain't pretty. It ain't pretty at all. And one of the things that's going to come into play, in my opinion, is definitely um, the injury report, right? And the injury report that came out yesterday, this is Wednesday's injury report, not Thursday, okay? I haven't gotten it yet. And we want to get this pod out to you by noon. Um, but when it comes to the injury report, let's go to Green Bay's side of the uh, you know side of the field here first. Jair Alexander was limited in participation. Okay, it sounds like they're going to let him go all week, limited in practice, and then him try to give it a go on Sunday. For me, this would be a game to hold him out. I would not be surprised if he doesn't play this week because it's a lesser opponent, right? And and both teams are kind of on equal grounds playing over in London. Obviously, it's going to be a 9:30 a.m. kickoff. Um, that's uh, that's kind of cool, kind of different, right? We're going to be able to get our game in and enjoy football all day long. That's going to be really neat. Um, but also on the injury list, you got Adrian Amos concussion. He did not participate. Obviously, that's no shocker. He's in concussion protocol. My guess is with everything that's happened with Tua, I think they keep him out. I mean, that whole Tua thing, I tried not to get into it. I didn't want to talk about it on the pod, and the reason being is because it gets kind of sensitive. Sometimes when you talk about it, you either come come across one of two ways. You either come across insensitive towards someone else's health or you come across as a a weak sister that, that uh, oh, man, it's football. Let them play. And, and, and you're, you know, it, there's no way of, of making people happy no matter which side you take. Me personally, I'm all about player health. 
Like I, I, you know, whatever's whatever's best to prevent what happened with Junior Seau, to prevent what happened with Mike Webster, all these things that I mean, you see Antonio Brown running around acting like an absolute idiot right now, and I there's no doubt in my mind that dude is suffering from CTE. It just seems like something's off there. Um, it's like he's living in his own little world. But uh, anyway, um, if you haven't seen the movie Concussion, go watch it. That's all I'll say. I was the guy before that was going, man, they're ruining the game with all these rules. It's supposed to be a hard-hitting game. I watched Concussion, and I cried like a baby. And it was like, yeah, I look at this totally different now. So I'll just say that. If you get, if you haven't watched that movie, go watch it. It's a great movie. Um, really opened my eyes to a lot of things that I was just completely ignorant on. I was uneducated on what was actually going on and uh, how things worked behind the scenes. All right, David Bakhtiari, knee, limited participation, Okay. Um, that to me, that seems planned, you know, obviously Bach played the entire game last week for the most part, best of my knowledge. Um, I think Bach will be ready to go Tariq Carpenter. He's got a abdomen, uh, injury, limited participation. Elton Jenkins limited with that knee. Same thing as Bach. I think he'll play Alan Lazard's ankle limited participation. He looked healthy to me on Sunday. I think he'll be ready to go. Josh Myers foot injury, limited participation. Devonte Wyatt quadricep. Limited participation. I think every one of those players will play with the exception of Adrian Amos, and I wouldn't be surprised if they keep Jair Alexander out just because it's a lesser opponent. I think this is a get-right game for the Packers to really create some momentum coming off of a a real emotional win there at Lambeau Field with a game-winning field goal that we played as we opened up the show. Um, I think you you sit Jair Alexander and Adrian Amos out in this one. Let them rest up. Obviously, Amos is probably a you know already a, a decision is probably already made. They just haven't announced it, and it's going to be cool to see what Rudy Ford does. If Rudy Ford does indeed take every snap that Amos was going to take, it's going to be exciting to see if he can step in there and play at the level that he did last week. So, uh, with every uh, adversity lies a, a seed to equal or greater benefit. You know, when a player goes out, it sucks that you're missing your your you know starting safety or your starting quarterback or whoever it might be. But in my opinion. It's an opportunity to watch a younger player step into that role and see if they can, you know, carry the water or not. Right. I just think those things are important. So I always try to look at the positive. You know, when we drafted Jordan Love, there were so many people going, we wasted a first round pick. And immediately in my mind, I thought if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, it's like the season's over. Right. It's that's the thought every year. But now you've got this possibly this quarterback of the future. If Aaron Rodgers goes down, you don't go to, well, there goes the season. Now we got to watch a crappy backup play. It goes to, all right, we get to see what love can do. And I look at it every every time that someone's injured. I don't wish ill will on anyone. Obviously, we want every Packer to be healthy. But when they do go out, it gives you a chance to really see what these other players can do. And, and to me, that's exciting. So now on the New York Giants side, it's a totally different ball game. I'm going to try to read these off quickly, but there are a ton of them, all right? Cordell Flott, I think is how you say his name, DB, calf injury, did not participate. Kenny Galladay, wide receiver, knee injury, did not participate. Richie James, wide receiver, ankle, did not participate. Daniel Jones, quarterback, ankle, limited participation. I've heard several people say they wouldn't expect him to play this week, that that looked really bad when he hurt his ankle. Now, the fact that he's limited in practice tells me he's probably going to play, but we'll have to see it. It may be a game-time decision depending on if the swelling goes down or whatever the injury was. Julian Love, DB, I think he plays safety, if I remember correct. He got a concussion, did not participate, probably going to be out this week. Uh, for the same reason as Adrian Amos, the league's going to get really, really cautious on those things right now with Tua being in the spotlight. Man, just what a scary situation that was. But, again, I'm going to stay away from it. 
Nick McLeod, DB, hamstring, limited participation. Henry Mordeaux, I think, or Mondo, defensive line, I think is how you say his name, ankle, did not participate. Uh, Fabian Moreau, Fabian Moreau, I should say, foot injury, limited participation. Evan Neal, offensive lineman, I believe he was a first-round pick. Yeah, that was a stud offensive lineman. Neck injury, limited participation. You've got a uh, Ojolari, linebacker, calf injury, did not participate. Wondell Robinson from Kentucky, wide receiver, knee, limited participation. Tyrod Taylor, quarterback, concussion, did not participate. I almost laughed, and I'm not trying to be insensitive about the concussion, but it's just like, my God, they can't catch a break. If if Daniel Jones can't go and Tyrod Taylor is still in concussion protocol, I mean, we're going to be down to their third-string quarterback. And that doesn't mean anything. We've seen what happened with Bailey Zappi, right? But at the same time, it's like these guys can't catch a break. Kadarius Toney, wide receiver, hamstring, limited participation. Leonard Williams, defensive lineman, knee injury, limited participation. So if you looked at the did not participate and said all those are going to miss, you got a DB, a wide receiver, a wide receiver, another DB, um, a defensive lineman, a linebacker, uh, a, a, another quarterback. Like, yeah, um, in my opinion, the Packers – should win this game pretty handily. And you guys know me. You know I don't say that often, right? Any given Sunday, I'm very conservative in that regard. I get very, you know, I don't want to be the guy that's like, oh, slam dunk win, and and knowing darn well that every single week games like this across the National Football League, heck, even at the, at the college level, you expect a team to run away with it, and they just don't, right? And then we act surprised. <laughs> but uh, final point spread here, I want to talk about this. This is on PFF. They've got the point spread right now. The market is suggesting that the Packers are eight-point favorites. That's that's pretty solid. That's exciting, right? A PFF has it at 7.7, okay, so a little bit lower than that. Um, I, I know this isn't a betting show, but these things are important. The public against the spread, 65% of the public are saying that the Packers are going to cover that eight-point spread. I mean, that's, that's pretty substantial there, right? 65% are saying, yeah. Yeah, the Packers the Packers will win by at least eight and a half. That's uh, I mean that that makes you feel good going into the game. Now let's look at the tickets, the money line tickets. Okay, the money line ninety five percent of the public are on the Green Bay Packers in this game. I mean it it, it it wouldn't be the first time that Vegas beat the public, right? But at the same time, it's like yeah, everything is tilted in Green Bay's favor right now. It really is. And when you look at how the line has moved uh, day by day, it stayed at seven and a half for a long time. And then um, it looked like it was on October the 3rd, four o'clock in the morning, little middle middle of the night. Uh, boy, I about said something. I'm going to keep that to myself. Middle of the night, the numbers changed all of a sudden. Um, 4.22 a.m., they actually um, drop or, I'm sorry, raise to a uh, an eight-point spread, right? And then it kind of stayed there. It dipped a little bit, and then came back up to eight. So the line's pretty steady now, but the majority of the money is definitely on the Green Bay Packers. So, um, you know, impact players' injuries that they have mentioned here, uh, Leonard Williams, the defensive line, has the, the largest impact. His PFF grades is 79.8. Right now he's listed as questionable. Uh, Foster Moreau, cornerback, leg injury, his PFF grade 76.8. He's questionable. Um, Robinson, cornerback, leg injury, he's on IR. 74.3 was his PFF grade. So it mentions those. I, I like how it does that. On the Packers side of the ball, when you look at um, exactly how they're shaking out here when it comes to uh, 
as far as injuries. Uh, Alan Lazard's questionable right now. 72.4 is his grade. Jair Alexander questionable, um, which that, that whole questionable thing there with Lazard, I think Lazard plays. This isn't a new injury, right? But those are the two big ones. Uh, Jair Alexander obviously being questionable. I say we hold Jair out. That's just me personally. So um, that's kind of how I see it and how I'd like to see things play out. So with that being said, um, we're going to wrap it up there, guys. Hope you enjoyed this. Like I said, just wanted to uh, kind of look back on that radio call and get get that you know pump through our blood one more last time with the game-winning uh, field goal there over the New England Patriots and a hard-fought overtime win. Obviously, we did the quarterly evaluation. Hopefully, now you come away with an idea of, of what players are performing at the level that, okay, this is the reason the Green Bay Packers are having success both on offense and defense and special teams. And then a little four-game saturation of New York Giants, what they've done, a little injury report, and then obviously just touching on the betting lines there a little bit. So you can kind of understand, okay, here's here's how the public's seen it. Public's all over Green Bay. It's looking good right now. Anything can happen when you get to fly all the way across that pond on short rest, try to get the clock right, try to get your, you know, your internal timer right, and then get up to play a game that early on what would normally be a 9.30 a.m. kickoff here. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to see the Packers finally get to play in London. If you are located in the U.K. and you're listening to my voice right now, and I know we have several – several people that listen over over the overseas there. I just want to say congratulations. Congratulations, you guys have finally got the Packers on your soil to play a game. I'm not one of these fans, and I know probably the large majority, if not all of our listeners, aren't those fans. It's like, I wish this game was at Lambeau. Look, let them have a game. You guys have been so freaking loyal. You have, I mean, you've supported the Packers as much as anybody right there in Wisconsin, and especially as much as me, you know, somebody, you know, being down here in Tennessee or at a, a further state, California, wherever it is, thank you guys over in the UK for supporting the Packers because they have a huge following over there. And I'm really excited to see you guys take over that stadium and turn that into a true home game for the Green Bay Packers. I think it can happen. I think it will happen. And I just want to say congratulations. This is long overdue. You guys deserve to have this game in your home. And uh, absolutely awesome. So, um, I'm going to be heading out of town on Saturday morning, going up to watch the Kentucky Wildcats play. Hopefully they got Will Levis's finger popped back into place and he gets to go on Saturday. That was the whole purpose of going is to kind of get a little in-person scouting of what some people are saying is going to be a top-five quarterback in this coming draft. So I'm excited about going up there and watching him play. My goal is to still get a show out there to you on Saturday. What i got to do is a 7.30 kickoff, I believe. So we're going to go to the game, probably get out of stadium traffic about 11.30, then drive four hours back here to home and uh, get a couple hours of sleep, wake up, watch a 9.30 game, take some notes, and we're going to be ready to do a post-game show for you guys immediately following that early kickoff there. Again, that's a 9.30 a.m. Eastern, 8.30 uh, Central a.m. kickoff against the uh, New York Giants live from uh, the U.K. So that being said, thank you all for taking the time to hang out with us. We really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this show. Um, as always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And Go Pack Go! Thank you. 